as you enjoy this episode today, John and I would like to take just a moment and invite you to consider becoming a sponsor of the podcast. For just a couple of pounds or dollars a month, you could help us ensure that we can keep this show free and available to everyone. We've just crossed a hundred episodes of two texts and have several thousand listeners per month. So if just a few of you could commit to partner with us, that would be massively helpful as we continue to produce the content you've come to love. If you want to become a sponsor, simply visit twotexts.com or follow the links in the show notes. Thanks for letting us interrupt you. We'll let you get back to enjoying the show now. Hi there, I'm David Harvey, and I'm here with John Andrews, and this is the Two Techs Podcast. In this podcast, we're two friends in two different countries, here with you every two weeks talking about two different texts from the Bible. In this season, as we enter our second year of podcasting together, we step beyond the stories of Jesus in the Gospels and into the Book of Acts. The Book of Acts is a series of stories and events from the early church when they encounter the disrupting presence of the Holy Spirit. Wow, David, we finished our last podcast with this incredible statement. Verse 24, chapter 12, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. Wow. And and it's it and, and Luke just this gorgeous contrast between the moment of the demise of Herod, the demise of this politically powerful man, yet the word of the God, the word of God relentlessly carrying on, and and that leads us to another gorgeous shift, and we're moving out of all of that darkness and light and hope and joy and grief of chapter twelve into now what feels like wow. A new phase, and it feels like we've been moving towards this, but it, but now Dr. Luke hits a bit of a go button, and we move towards in in a really seriously aggressive way. We move towards the Gentile world, so yes. so we're 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 sort of going to read the last verse of chapter twelve, and then into the first few verses of chapter thirteen. Mm-hmm. Sounds sounds good, John. I, I I love the way that we managed to alternate our our reading schedule and take it in turns, and it always seems to end up with me with the readings that have all these really awkward works words in them. So, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There is a God. There is a God. He looks after me. It's true. It's true. I love it. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to read. So again, the breakdown of, of, of the chapters are a little tiny bit awkward here because the end of verse 25, which to be honest with you, most English translations break 25 from verse 24. I actually yeah. like keeping them together because it almost speaks to the point that we said quite strongly in the last episode the word of god continues because all this has been going on meanwhile barnabas and saul have been off just doing their mission that god called them to but but we've broke it up according to how most bibles break it up just to help be easier for people to track with so this is reading from chapter 12 verse 25 to chapter 13 and verse 3 it says when barnabas and saul 
had finished. And by the way, just to interrupt myself right at the start, do you notice, because this is not a huge point, but they're being known as Barnabas and Saul at this stage. Like, yes, Saul, Paul is still in the ascendancy, isn't he? He's yes. not yet. He's not the lead character just yet, which is no. fascinating. No. But when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Wow. Love that. Love that. I, I I do love, and you alluded to this, David, just in your introduction to the reading, I, I love the continuity here. So we've mm-hmm. had this dramatic sort of chapter 12 story or stories being told. Mm-hmm. But then sort of verse 25 reminds us, oh, by the way, while all that's been happening, the church has just been getting on with its job. And, mm-hmm. and here's an example of that. When Barnabas yes, and Saul yes. had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem taking yep. John Mark with them. So, so, so you get this lovely sense of continuity. And again, layers here. We've yeah. spent, like me and you, have spent serious time in chapter 12. But while we've yeah. been diving into chapter 12, hey, the poor are still being fed. The prisoners are still being visited. The naked are still being clothed. The, the gospel's still spreading. The church is still growing. Oh, and by the way, Paul and Barnabas or Saul and Barnabas uh, have finished their, their mission to help the believers in the Judean region and Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and they're heading back to Antioch. And yes. you get this gorgeous matter-of-factness, this sort of continuity in the midst mm-hmm. of all of the drama. Let's get back to the real bread-and-butter business here. And it's I totally. love that. I love that. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It's beautiful, actually, this this kind of humbling and sobering as well, actually, that, that while you're going through immense difficulty, God is working <laughs> elsewhere at the same time and dealing with... Dealing with stuff and 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 one day some megalomaniac might even kill you and other people will still be doing their work unaware unaware of it. I mean, it kind of brings us away from our kind of modern sense of grandiose, doesn't it? That the whole mm. let me say it like this: hard to be a narcissist in the Church of Acts. It's <laughs> you know I mean? true. It's true. Yes, and, you're 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 constantly reminded that you're not the center of the universe. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so we get then this, this, so, you know, and John Mark is with them as well. And people who have read ahead know a little bit more about that, about that whole process. But we're seeing these characters that have been floating around the periphery have now, I realize I'm making a symbol here, John, like, like the, the water draining out a bathtub, but they're the <laughs> Paul and, or Paul known as Saul as well, Barnabas and John Mark have been, they've been circling around the edge, but they're now being drawn into becoming the main protagonists of the story alongside the Holy Spirit. But yet, even despite that, and despite where the story's going to go, Luke sort of shuffles them into each other's space in a, alongside Simeon and also Lucius and Manahan. He's Luke's not trying to create superstars, is he? No, no. And, and I love, I love the fact that as we are introduced 
to the Antioch context here in chapter 13, having having been introduced to it previously in chapter 11. I love the fact that we're meeting people that this is the only time we'll we'll hear about them. <laughs> They're just dropped in and that's it. Yeah. And it's a reminder that actually the church at Antioch was made up of lots of people like this mm. and that the church of Antioch does not depend on Barnabas and Saul. And Barnabas and Saul are about to leave again and the church of Antioch will carry on because that's the way it should be. It should be, mm-hmm. it should be a, a community where, yes, we honour and release and are grateful for gifts and ministry and leadership and shepherds. Yeah. But at the same time, actually, it should never depend on the personality at the heart of that community because the, the mm-hmm. church of Jesus Christ is not built on personality but it's built on confession, the confession mm-hmm. of who Jesus is. And ultimately, our all our personalities should sort of dovetail into that. So I love the fact that Barnabas and Saul are now thrust into this wider group. And what, what a magnificently diverse group this is. Mm. This is seriously multicultural, David. And mm. again, if we if we slow this down, my goodness, there's some... There's some stuff going on here, which is which is quite quite striking, isn't it? I I don't know if you've noticed that, but just just the fact that we've got people named in the way that they're named is suggesting a diversity of culture, yes. even color mm-hmm. and background. It's all going on here, and 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 worth a wee reflection from us, isn't it? Yes, no, absolutely, absolutely. So, like, I know, and I'm saying this for the listeners, I know that you, you've you been excited about these three verses here. So while I was getting super excited about Ezekiel references in the last passage, <laughs> I knew that you you had a lot to bring here. So just take us away, John. Like, where, where do you want to go with, where do you want to go with all this? Well, I, I mean, the, the, I think there's two outstanding things that I saw which really excited me. The first one is now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Mm-hmm. And and again, ha- having having had the privilege of hanging around the book of Acts for a little while, there are three outstandingly dominant churches that, that get special mention, like more than others in the in the Acts narrative. You've got, of course, Jerusalem, you've got Antioch, and then we'll bump into Ephesus. A bit later on. I know I'm jumping ahead here. But what's quite striking is, is if these verses are representative of that's used language, modern language, of a leadership group or a group that are bringing leadership to this church at Antioch, then then in each of the three big churches of, of the book of Acts, we have slightly different styles of leadership. Mm-hmm. So in, in Jerusalem, we've got a sort of an apostles and elders mm-hmm. vibe going on. And, and you, you can read that back in chapter, well, as we go forward, you'll see that in chapter 15. We've already bumped into some of those guys. Here you've got prophets and teachers. And then Ephesus is almost entirely, it's in the elders there's no, there's no like what we might call Ephesians 4.11 ministry connection mentioned with Ephesus in terms of the Acts narrative. Now, later on, possibly, but that's in Acts 19. So you get Jerusalem led by, by apostles and elders. You get Antioch possibly being led by prophets and teachers. 
and you've got mm. emphasis being led by elders. And I just, mm. I was so profoundly touched by that. I'm thinking, okay, is that just a coincidence? Or is it's actually Luke showing us in a, a deliberate or accidental way, he's showing us, Luke, there's no one way to sort of yeah. do this, that, that as long as we're following the basic principles of governance and how to look after the shepherds, how to look after sheep, Actually, the way a leadership structure is constructed, there doesn't seem to be at this stage, certainly in the development of the Book of Acts, a hardcore formula of how to lead a local community because there's variation on the theme. And some of that might be context sensitive and some of that might be reflective of the ministries and gifts within those communities, all of that accepted. But but we're not getting a straight pattern Jerusalem, Antioch, Ephesus, all the same. You're getting three churches that seem to be led in slightly different ways as far as the construction of the teams are concerned, if that's not overstretching. I I don't think it's overstretching at all, John. I think that's, I actually think that's completely consistent with all of Scripture. And I think it's something that we should pay way more attention to in church leadership in the present day. I, so I, I think as you were talking just there, I was thinking about the book of Joshua and how almost every piece of land that the Israelites conquer on their way into taking the promised land, they do in different ways. Right? Yeah. So think about think about Jericho. As, as far as a military strategy grows, that was a remarkably efficient way to take a city. You turn up, you walk around it for a few days, it falls down, you take possession of it. It never happens again, right? Like some days the sun stands still in the sky and other days they just roll up their sleeves and do really hard work, right? So we don't see God saying to Joshua, I'm going to show you here in Jericho how to do city conquering and you just head off and do that forever, right? And here's my suspicion and I think Acts confirms this suspicion, we as humans are always looking for the strategy, right? Think mm, about think about what Simon said, right? He says, let me have this power too. I want to be able to replicate this, right? And I think humans love patterns and we love replication. The danger of replication is we think we can do it ourselves without God. I, I always remember one of my one of my lead pastors saying that the scariest verse in the whole Bible was when Samson, when it says of Samson, he did not know that the Lord had left him, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's always the danger, that the moment, and, and listen, there is an intentional critique, but I'm not going to name names here, but because there are many names, but the moment we say, I have built a church that I think is a good church, and here now is my book on how to build a church like this, I understand the heart is to help people. I understand the heart is to give people an idea of what to do. But the danger is, is that we miss exactly what you've identified that's going on here in Acts, is that the Holy Spirit is guiding the nature and the, and, and the shape of these churches. And that the pastors are not reading, and I'm not anti-education, I hope our listeners know this, but the pastors are not reading the latest book on how to build a church they're listening to the Holy Spirit for their community, for their people. Because actually, the shepherd is called to care for these people. The shepherd is not called 
to build a huge farm. And, and that's going to sound so controversial to some people, but I do think we, we as modern Christians have to wrestle with that a little bit. I mean, maybe I'm pushing that where you didn't want to go with it, no. John, but that's kind no, of what no. I'm hearing there. No, no, I, I totally agree. And, and we speak as people who love the local church, have led mm. and are leading local churches. So we're in. We we totally are committed to the success of this glorious community that people called the church, that God's called out community. So we're in on this. We love the church. Any any reflection of this nature is is not because we are trying to destroy something, but because we're going, hold on a minute, that's interesting. Is that worth considering and thinking about and and the other thing that struck me as you were sharing david if if you come up with a brilliant strategy to lead your local church and then say this is the way we did it if i then take that idea and i try to implement it but i'm not you Mm. and i haven't got that gifting and i haven't i'm not we haven't got what you've got, and we aren't who you are, and we're not where you are, then one of the things we are in danger of doing is either imposing on ourselves a weight that we cannot carry, Mm -hmm. and then restricting ourselves to do something that has been extremely successful in one context, but Mm -hmm. actually may not be the way that that needs to look in another context. And I, I love this idea. Look, you've got apostles and elders. And, and and when we get to Antioch, Barnabas isn't named an apostle yet. He doesn't get named as an apostle till chapter 14. Paul is not called apostle yet. He's a sent one, but that language hasn't developed yet. So so there are no there are no apostles. So if the church at Antioch could have thought, right, we can't we can't do this because we don't have apostles. Yeah then the Church of Antioch doesn't happen, or at least it doesn't happen in the way that it starts to happen. If Ephesus goes, my goodness, we don't have any of these resident (laughs) Ephesians 4.11 sort of ministry gifts. I know Ephesians hasn't been written at that stage, but you know what I mean? We haven't got prophets or or apostles, therefore we can't do this. And actually when you the, the only repeat pattern that I can see in the book of Acts is that that when Barnabas and Saul go to different places, they they appoint groups of mm. elders, these overseers, these these people who see over the church community and watch over them. So my, my only appeal to, my, to our listeners would be, look, there, I don't think there is one template. I don't think there is one way to do this. And that that's learned from everybody as much as we can. But but it seems to me that three churches in the book of Acts are given the freedom to shape a leadership structure mm. in the way that best suits them at that moment, as long as they're able to do all the core ideas that mm. churches are called to do. And if we're able to do that, then the labels and the structures aren't, it seems, so important. What is important that we're doing what we're able to do. I, I couldn't, I honestly couldn't agree <laughs> more. Like I was thinking as you were saying that the it's so many of our church models are, are essentially Saul's armor. There's, it, it's like your David wants to go fight Goliath and Saul says, we're here. The way to fight Goliath is to put 
all of my armor on. Such a leading statement. Saul is the tallest man in Israel. That's how he ended up being king. And mm. he, so he takes all of this armor to put on this child, David. And David's like, I can't fight in this, right? Mm. He has to do it the way that the Lord has guided and brought him to. I think of mm. conversely, the Lord says to Moses, well, what's in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. And God says, right, we'll use that. <laughs> that'll be yeah. that'll be that'll be the the thing that we do to go forward with. So, like for me, I, I almost want to go as far as to say, why was the church in Antioch built around prophets and teachers? And the mm-hmm. answer is here in chapter thirteen, verse one, is because they had Barnabas, yeah. Simeon, Lucius, Manaean, and Saul. Yes. Right? That's exactly. that's that's who's there. So that's so their it. church had that character, and. And why did a different church have a different character? It was because they had different people. Right? And, Absolutely. And, and rather than the church of Antioch going, okay, how, you know, we need an apostolic structure here. How do we create an apostolic structure? Because that will make us a proper church. Instead, they said, the grace that has been given to us is that we'll be a church of prophets and teachers. And, mm-hmm. and so, I, I mean, I think, I honestly think that's a huge, a huge lesson for us, that you can't mm-hmm. be what you don't have. And what if what you've been given in your church community, and maybe you want to go to a mega church of 10,000 people, but your church is currently 50. Well, hey, God does amazing things with 50 people. In fact, actually, yeah, yeah. sometimes he does more amazing things with a small group of people than he does with a mob, right? But, yeah, yeah. but so often we're yearning that, oh, we could be that if we had this. And what I love that you're bringing out here in Acts is, no, they had prophets and teachers because... Because they had prophets and teachers. <laughs> <laughs> so true. It's so true. And and I think your your the point you just alluded to is further emphasized in the breakdown. I, I I'm I'm always interested when you get <clears throat> a breakdown of names like this. You don't get this sort of level of breakdown in Jerusalem. No. So you don't get this level of breakdown in Ephesus. The only place where we get a name by name breakdown is in Antioch. And so what what the way the way my mind works, David, I ask why? Why have we got all these names in a way that you haven't really had before? The closest we get to that is X six when the seven are appointed. Mm. And even then there's a reason the seven are named in the context of X six yes. because a point is being made that's a multicultural yes. point. And yes. the same point I think is being made here. So if you look at these names I, I just I if I if I get overwhelmed with emotion here, you're gonna to have to step in. But but I look at these names. So you've got Barnabas. Well, we know Barnabas is originally Joseph, the Levite from Cyprus. So you've got here a Jewish person, but from a deeply Hellenized context. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Simeon Niger. Literally, please forgive us listeners, but literally that could read Simeon the Black. It's like it's mm. it's the Latin word for 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 black in that sense. So it's so you get this sense mm. of Simeon, who may be actually a a a black person mm. in that context. Then you've got Lucius from Cyrene, and remember, this is Cyrene is the capital of the Roman province within what we would call today Libya, so northern Africa. So you've got you've got Lucius and again Lucius, I'm very alert to my Latin now, David, after Christianos. <laughs> so so Lucius is also a Latin name. 
And then you've got Mannion. Now, this is a really fascinating one, David, after all our stuff on Herod previously. So raised as a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch mm. or, or Antipas. And, and actually you get this idea that he's brought up with, he's raised with, he's raised together with, literally, this idea. So, so you've got... Is he a this Jewish term sometimes person? used of foster brother. There's certain yeah. references that it's that close. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So so now Mannion is he is he Jewish or or not? Where I I I can't tell from here. Maybe you can help me with that. But certainly, you've got someone raised in the house of Herod. So we're talking really cosmopolitan person, a person with a wide background a person would have been exposed to lots of different ideas and a lot of different strains mm. and then you've got Saul Tarsus even though raised or trained in Jerusalem he is a Hellenized Jew so you've got here phenomenal multiculturalism you've got yeah. here now Good. now of course Church of Jerusalem won't look like this David because the church in Jerusalem is almost entirely Jewish Mm-hmm. The church at Ephesus may not look like this because Ephesus is a different type of city. Antioch, third largest city in the Roman Empire, cosmopolitan trading center, lots of nations all over the world gathering in Antioch. And and it's reflected in the, the leadership that you get this multicultural leadership. And again, what mm-hmm. I love is here, right, now, now, please, listeners, don't hear what I'm not saying here. What, what they're not trying to find are five Jewish people. What they're working mm. with mm. is who they've got, right? Yes. This is who we've got. In the same way that we've got prophets and teachers, this is who we've got. Therefore, mm. that's, stop, that's stop trying to find a cookie-cutter approach to who we need. 100%. And let's start looking at who we've got and let who we've got find their place in this community of faith. And I think that's why Antioch is so successful. Because mm-hmm. it's truly embracing who they are. They're not trying to be Jerusalem point two. They're mm-hmm. not trying to be somebody else. They're being who they are. And as a result of that, I think they reflect a dynamic, authentic community and mm-hmm. possibility and opportunity. Makes sense? Oh my goodness, it's profoundly important, John. Like, like I, I hear a lot of narrative these days about people saying like, oh my goodness, like churches are becoming so different, becoming so diverse and almost that's spoken of as if, oh, that's churches just attempting to be politically correct, right? Mm-hmm. And then you look at this text here and you're like, no, no, this is what the church has always looked like. <laughs> <laughs> like this is what the Holy Spirit has always been doing in, in the church. And I, I think it's a stunning point. It, it gives me the same chills as when we discovered that in the Acts 7 podcast, and we're looking through Acts 6 and 7 with the mm. with the the appointment of the first deacons, that again, mm. an intentionally diverse group of people from a different context. But, oh my goodness, it's gorgeous. Like if you think about what's going on in Acts chapter 13, we're beginning to see the mission of, of, of Saul take its prominence in this story. We're going to be heading out post Cornelius into the church for the Gentiles. And at this early stage, we've got this completely diverse group of people mm. working, working their gifts and their ministries around. I mean, oh yeah, it's, it's just stunning, John. It's just it's stunning. Fantastic, isn't it? I, I, yeah. I really do like that. 
And, and I wonder then about the role of the Holy Spirit in this. And I was really struck by they're worshiping the Lord and fasting. So they're taking things very seriously. They get this sense of the call for Barnabas and Saul to do their work. And then they place their hands on them and send them out. And I was thinking about, I was thinking about the triangulation. I want to use the word Trinity, but maybe that's too confusing. But notice that, notice that the, the groups of people that are involved in this, right? So there must be a sense that God is calling Barnabas and Saul. I assume mm-hmm. there's some agreement that Barnabas and Saul are on board with this. And then mm-hmm. the people themselves, these prophets and mm-hmm. teachers, have to lay their hands and they affirm it. And I, I actually have come to really love the, the sense that, and maybe I'm overstating here, but you see this in certain church, church traditions to this day, that, that Barnabas and Saul are only a third of the decision-making yeah. process that they go out to serve the Lord in this way. So there's, there's immense humility in this. Barn, Saul doesn't come along and go, have you heard my story? Have you heard how the Lord come to me? I'm now here to be the great missionary. The Holy Spirit initiates it. The church leaders lay their hands on to approve it and Barnabas and Saul agree to it. And I just wonder if our traditions of churches would do better if we gave people a little less power to declare their own call and a little bit more humility to come under the submission of others who would say, yes, we see this call in you also. I mean, maybe I'm stretching that, but do you hear what, do you hear what I'm sort of picking oh, at there? Beautiful. No, no, I, I think the language is dynamic, set apart for me. Mm. They're called by me. It's this, mm-hmm. this I, I've called them, the Holy Spirit says. I've mm-hmm. set them apart. It's there's something really powerful here. And and David, what what struck me as well, leaning into your humility argument, what struck me as well was this is a church or a, a team or a community willing to release the two people that actually were the engine room in that year of teaching and study and learning. So we've already seen the generosity of the Antioch church. They they were generous in the famine. Now they're being generous with two out of five of their core leaders. And that's a chunk, right? So so they are prepared to not only hear the Holy Spirit, but prepared to obey the Holy Spirit and release these men in the most amazing, amazing way. And in a world where sometimes I see a lot of grabbing and keeping and holding on, I love the fact that here's a group of people, they hear the Holy Spirit and they go, right, we have to let these guys and, and let them go. And I love I love the sort of the, the, the sending off is, is the implication of the word as I read it, David, is the idea of loosing them from. It's It's... So the Holy Spirit sends them to, but they loose them from. Am I reading that right in terms of that? It it says when they sent them off, we've got this sort of sense of we are loosing you from us, not just sending you to something. So in order for someone to be sent, they have to be loosed. 
Well, and, it was interesting because when I saw the text in English, because so I picked up the text in English and was reading through it. And then I, when I jumped over to the Greek, I was surprised that this set apart language. I was yes. anticipating maybe language more in the nuance of holiness and stuff like that. But it's definitely, it's separate, it's divide actually. So it's like, it really is cut them off at some level. So there's a cost, like it really I'm struck by, like this is going to cost you Antioch Church. You're going to lose these people here. They're really important to me. And you're absolutely right that by the time, so after they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands upon them and apolluoed them. They they mm. released them. They they untied them. Going back to an early podcast of mm. ours, I say it's about, it's about a year and a bit ago now, the, the woman in Luke chapter 13, yeah. where Jesus looses her from her infirmity. It's mm-hmm. the same word. So absolutely, like the image I have is that Barnabas and Saul were tied and connected to mm. the church mm. in Antioch. And, and what happens here is they have been untied. Like this is not, like you are now, I, I mean this in the, in the kind and generous way, you are now not of us. Right. Not in a get get behind me Satan way, but in a sense of we are releasing our claim on you. You now go and do kingdom work elsewhere. I mean, it's quite Absolutely. stunning. It is, and and that, to me, that's really powerful because if we're truly going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in sending, we have to loose. We have to actually say these people are not ours. Even though Barnabas and Saul are at the very heart of the DNA of Antioch, the leadership and community of Antioch go, these are not ours. These are gods. We're we're going to loose them from ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to send them somewhere. Mm -hmm. And David, it's that attitude that excites me. It's that mentality where I'm going, my goodness, sometimes we send people to get rid of them. But here's the church at Antioch sending them because they've loosed them from themselves and released them to be everything that they were meant to be. I'm I'm reminded of emotionally of the church that I grew up in and they, they, they paid for me to go to Bible college. And I remember going to Bible college and this little church, tiny little church, less than 100 people paid for my three years to go through Bible college. And I remember the elders saying this to me, David, they said this, you don't have to return. Mm, wow. <laughs> we are sending you and you don't have to return. This is not, we're not buying you. We're sending you. Yeah. And I go, that's the spirit of the kingdom of God right there. That yeah. somehow Antioch in the famine grabbed that idea. And now in releasing Barnabas and Saul to an amazing moment in history that they're able to do it because they genuinely embrace the loosing not just the sending and i think there's something powerful in that so powerful john i love that i love that wow and of course i listeners won't know this but you know i have i had to come to your office when you were my boss and say hey listen i think i need to move to canada Right. And 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 you, I would say, and I would want to honor you with that. It never even slightly made me feel like that wasn't just something that the Holy Spirit had had put in my own heart. And so, like, yeah, I mean, wow, we all have these moments, and you get that choice to hold on or to mm. let release into the hands of the Holy Spirit. And mm. wow. 
And maybe, John, like a real tedious link to that when we talk about being released. It's a point for us to say to our listeners that we're taking <laughs> August off. Well, <laughs> so we need our listeners we to release us from August. <laughs> yes, yes. You, you, you're going to enjoy a lovely, I hope, enjoy a wonderful sabbatical, a well yeah. A well-earned sabbatical for a few months. And I'll be in Singapore, well, UK and Singapore. Well, Singapore for three weeks out of the four in yeah. August, ministering and teaching there. So we're we're having a little digital Sabbath from our yeah. two text recording. But we'll be back in September picking things up with people. Yes, all going all going well. It, it's only a short time without us. And it's a great time to go back and listen to all those episodes you've missed or start again in Act 1 and be amazed at how slow it's taking us. And, and, and I think we can say with some confidence, we're going as fast as we can. <laughs> Absolutely. And we love it. We love it. Yeah. So God bless you all, listeners. Bless you. Again. And you will hear us in September again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope that you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch with either of us about something we said, you can reach out to us on podcast at twotexts.com or by liking and following the Two Texts podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you really did enjoy the episode, then we'd love it if you left a review or a comment where you're listening from. And if you really enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? Don't forget that you can listen to all of our podcasts from this season and others at www.2text.com. But that is it for now. So until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.